Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, be reading from verse 7 through the end of the chapter, verse 13. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Pastor Jamie and uh, a number of the men are attending a men's retreat this weekend. Uh, Two years ago, I was at that retreat. It was one of the the best retreats I've ever been to. It was a very encouraging time. Uh, This year, it didn't really work out in my schedule, but I would encourage all of you men to consider going to the men's retreat uh, next June. So they like to have it annually, although last year with COVID, it didn't happen. But uh, there are men from churches all across uh, western Michigan, and it was uh, just a great time. And so I'm thankful that Pastor Jamie and a number of the men and some of their sons were able to go with them. Do you eat pork? Should you eat pork since it's in the list of unclean meats in the Old Testament? Should you be keeping the Sabbath? since it's a part of the Ten Commandments. Why are we meeting here on Sunday instead of meeting on the Sabbath, which the Sabbath went from Friday night, sundown Friday night, all the way till sundown Saturday night? You know, many people over the years have been confused about the relationship between the Old and the New Covenants and how we relate to those. In fact, uh, there are some believers today and even some denominations that are still trying to take parts of the Old Covenant and to follow that today. However, we're going to see this morning that uh, we are now under the New Covenant, which is far superior to the Old Covenant that God gave 
to the Jews. Now, last week, when Pastor Jamie was uh, speaking from chapter 11 of Hebrews, that passage focused on the superior priesthood of Christ over the priesthood of the Levitical priests. So he continues in the beginning of chapter 8 with that superiority of Christ, and he goes on and especially highlights one of the reasons why Christ is superior to the other priesthood is that he is over a better covenant, which is what will be the focus of our passage this morning. Now, as we've been going through Hebrews, we've seen that the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage these Jewish believers, who are the ones who are receiving uh, this book, uh, he's trying to convince them that it is foolish to go back into Judaism. Why in the world would you leave something that's better and go to something that's inferior? Now, because of persecution, they may have thought, well, you know, it'll be better to go back to where we were before. But as we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews, and we'll see it again this morning, that is a foolish thing to go back to the old that, that God has replaced. So this morning, we're going to see especially why the new covenant is better and how it can lead to a wonderful relationship with God. Now, our passage begins by highlighting the superior priesthood of Christ. Let's look at the first couple of verses of chapter 8. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So Christ is superior because he is over this, he calls it a tent, or tabernacle, the original one in heaven. That's greater than the one that the priests were ministering from here on earth. Now, Jesus did not carry out his priestly ministry here on earth. Um, but when he finished all that he had been called to do in his first coming, after he was resurrected from heaven, spent time with his disciples, and then ascended back to heaven, he's been seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he is now in the place of highest honor. And he is serving as our high priest in that place. In fact, we even saw last week in our passage that he is interceding for us as our high priest. And he is ministering over the true tabernacle in heaven. Now, when Jesus returns, he is going to come to this world and take up this whole kingdom. He's going to be ruling as king. He was a king in his first coming, but he didn't serve as a king. But as he shared in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And that should be something that we are so looking forward to. We will finally have a righteous leader who rules over this whole world. And of course, the description of what his kingdom will be like is... is uh, 
so encouraging. And we don't have time to get into all that today. But he's presently serving as our high priest in heaven, but he will return and he will set up his earthly throne. Now, in verses 3 through 6, he talks about the fact that this ministry of Jesus is better than that, than the Levitical priest, and one of them is he is the mediator of a better covenant. Now, it was the role of the Old Testament priest to offer sacrifices, and Jesus offered his sacrifice, which was himself. In fact, in one sense, you might say that that was the only um, uh, service that he gave us as high priest in offering himself. And now that he is in heaven, he continues to serve as our high priest. As it points out here in verse 4, Jesus didn't serve as our high priest on earth because there were already Levitical priests that were operating according to the law. According to the law, the, the priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. What tribe did Judah, uh, Jesus come from? I already spilled the beans. Tribe of Judah. So the kings were from the tribe of Judah, but they were not to serve as priests. But we've seen in the last chapter, as uh, Jamie was talking about the priesthood of Melchizedek. Jesus is according to the priesthood of Melchizedek, not according to the Levitical priests. Now, while the Levitical priests were serving all throughout the Old Testament, their service was highly valued. First, their service was in the tabernacle, and then later the temple was built, and they served there. But as the writer points out, all that they were doing was a copy or a shadow of the heavenly tabernacle. It wasn't the real thing. It wasn't the original. So when you have the original, why would you want to follow or uh, focus on an imitation? Now, I've never had a Rolex watch. I uh, noticed online that you can, you can buy a Rolex watch for maybe around $5,000 to $25,000 or, or more. Now, if someone offered you a Rolex watch or an imitation of a Rolex watch, what would you take? You say, well, that, that's kind of a no-brainer. So why would somebody want to choose the Levitical priesthood rather than the ministry and priesthood of Jesus Christ? So he's trying to get the attention of his readers and say, why in the world would you go back when Jesus is far greater and his ministry is far greater? A few years ago, I talked with a young man who was involved in a group called the Hebrews, Hebrew Roots Ministry. Now, I don't know if any of you have heard of this ministry, but they are focused on uh, many aspects of the Old Covenant. They're trying to keep the Sabbath, to keep the various feasts, to follow some of the dietary restrictions. And when I talk with this young man, he says, don't you want to keep the Passover? I said, no, I want to celebrate the resurrection. Now, we can learn from the Passover and other things that are in the Old Covenant, but they're all pointing to Christ. 
So why focus on those things and push Christ to the background, which that, which what that ministry wasn't rejecting Christ, but they were taking all these things from the old covenant and putting them in the forefront, and Christ was being pushed to the back. Now, the ministry that God gave to the Levitical priests was good for the purpose that God had for it. But Jesus' ministry is far greater. And one of the reasons he brings out here that it's greater is that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, which has better promises. Now, we know that a mediator has a role of trying to bring together, whether it's two individuals or two groups, that are separated because of some reason. Now, we know that sin began with Adam and Eve. So, beginning with Adam and Eve, everyone has sinned against God. And because God is holy and righteous, our sin separates him, separates us from him. And that's why we need a mediator. And God was so merciful and gracious and loving to us that he sent Jesus to be the mediator of this new covenant. Now, the writer goes on then to show why the new covenant is so much better, and it has better promises. Now, first of all, he shows that the old covenant was inadequate. It had fault. Let's look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the point here is that when God gave that covenant to the Jewish people, if it had no faults at all, you would never need to come along and add something else. Now, if you have a car or an appliance that is faultless, why would you ever go out and replace it with something? Why do we replace things in life? Well, sometimes they're worn out, they're broken, or something newer or better comes along, and so we replace the old thing. Now, when we read the word faultless, we may get the idea that God made a mistake, that he, he made the old covenant with the Israelites, but he messed up. That's not true. You see, God had a purpose for the old covenant. And he made that old, that old covenant with limitations. Because before he even created this world, he had this whole plan worked out. He knew exactly when he was going to make the old covenant with the Israelites. He knew exactly when he was going to usher in the new covenant with Jesus Christ. And he designed it so that even though it had limitations, it would show us various things about God. And it would lead us to an understanding of our need for Jesus Christ. So when you read through the Old Covenant, and we don't uh, often spend the time going over all the details that were a part of the Old Covenant that God gave to the Jews, but it demonstrated God's righteousness. It demonstrated God's righteous standard. It helped people to know how to live. It helped people to see that they fell short 
of God's righteous standard, and that that's why they needed a Savior. Now, even though the Old Covenant was righteous, it could not make the people righteous. It could not provide people the spiritual life that they needed. It couldn't provide people the power to obey all the things that God had in the Old Covenant. So the Old Covenant had a purpose for a period of time. And God prophesied through the prophet Jeremiah in in Jeremiah chapter 31 about this new covenant. And so the writer of Hebrews in our passage this morning in verses 8 through 12, he quotes some of those verses from Jeremiah 31. So God said, okay, this is what I'm going to do in the future. Now, before we get into that section, I would also like to read some verses that Paul shared in Galatians chapter 3. Because in that passage, he's talking about the law that was in the Old Covenant and how it was helpful until Christ came. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from verse 21 through 29. Is the law, and here the law is referring to the law that was a part of the Old Covenant, Is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. So right there he shows a limitation. The law could not give people spiritual life. But the scripture, that's another word used for the law, imprisoned everything under sin. You see, as people read the old covenant God gave them and they realized they were falling short, in a sense, they were bound up in sin and it should prepare them to look for a savior. God needed to provide something for them that they could not provide for themselves. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. So he pictures the law as a guardian that watched over us until Christ came. But once Christ came, then that guardian was no longer needed. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so that's how we get in on it. The old covenant was for the Jews, but it was also for everyone who believes in Jesus. Even though we are not physical descendants of Abraham, we are spiritual descendants of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the author quoted from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Now, 
Let's just look at the first couple of verses of uh, this section, verses 8 and 9. So he's talking about the fact that God promised this covenant. Verse 8, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Now God found fault with the Israelites because they were not faithful in keeping the old covenant that he made with them. As I mentioned, all, even though the old covenant was righteous, it could not make the people righteous. So God promised that there would be this new covenant, but it would be different and superior in quality. Now, the picture that he gives here in verse 9 is that of a father taking a child and leading that child. And what he's referring to is when God led the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land. Now, when he brought them to Mount Sinai, that's when he made the Old Covenant, or it, you might officially say it was the Mosaic Covenant, but we often refer to it as the Old Covenant. It's the same thing, but it's the covenant that God replaced with the new covenant. So when he made that covenant with the Israelites, that's when he set up the Levitical priesthood and all the sacrifices that they were to offer. It included special uh, feasts or celebrations that they were to follow, the Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the first fruits. It included the dietary restrictions, which included uh, the unclean uh, meat that they were not to eat and included tithing and circumcision and many other laws. Even though God set up all of this for the Jewish people to be a blessing to them, they were not faithful in keeping that covenant. Now, God was very patient. When you read through the Old Testament and you see the years of disobedience to God, you'd think, man, if I was God, I would have dealt with them a lot quicker. But it was year after year of disobedience, and God still was patient. But they finally reached a point where God said, okay, you're going into captivity. So first, Israel was defeated and taken into captivity, and then Judah was defeated and taken into captivity because of their disobedience. Now, when God allowed them to be defeated and to taken into captivity, that appeared that God did not care for them. In fact, all the people probably thought, well, God just gave up on us. He's done with us. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about what it would be like to be taken away to another country. Could you imagine if a country like North Korea which from our perspective would never really happen, you would hope. But if they defeated the United States and they just take some of us out of our homes and take us over there, 
How horrible that would be to be taken away from everything that you know. And that's what happened to the Jewish people because of their disobedience. But God did not really abandon them. Now, he was disciplining them, but he was actually doing it for their own good. I'd like to read from Jeremiah chapter 29, a few verses. Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, God gave this message through Jeremiah to the Jewish people before they went into captivity. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You imagine all these people, when they hear this message, they say, well, yeah, come on. You say, this is good for me? give me a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. So he's pointing out, I'm going to use this captivity to bring you back to me. And what is more important than a relationship with God? You see, you can have all the wealth in the world, but if you're separated from God, you're living a miserable life, an empty life. God was going to use their captivity to bring their hearts back to him. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you, into exile. And we know that after the 70 years was up, the Jews were then free to return to their homeland. Now, he points out in verse 9 that this prophecy about this new covenant was not going to be like the old covenant. You see, God did not try to renew it or change the old covenant. He had a plan for this new covenant, which Jesus ushered in. And this plan was going to be a whole different plan. Now, Jesus hinted at this in the parables about the unshrunk cloth and the old garment in Mark chapter 2, verses 21 through 22. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, but new wine is for fresh wineskins. So we shouldn't be trying to hang on to part of the old covenant and then the new covenant. No, Jesus says that's not God's plan. That He had a place for that old covenant. It served its purpose. But when Christ died on the cross, he ushered in this new covenant that we are under today. Now, in verse 10, he begins to list some of the better promises in this new covenant. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Now, he makes a statement, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Now, think about the Old Covenant. Now, the Ten Commandments were part of the Old Covenant, and what were they written on? They were written on tablets of stone. And we also know in other passages of Scripture that parts of the Old Covenant were written down in a book or a scroll. But this new covenant that God made is inward and dynamic. Now, the new covenant gives us an inner desire and an inner ability to do what God has called us to do. When we place our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. And now we have a whole new way that we can live. Now, I'd like to turn to a few passages, and I'm not sure that we have any of these on the slides because I decided to include these a little later. But Apostle Paul referred to some of these things. Let's turn back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And you'll see how Paul is alluding to what we see here in Hebrews chapter 8, and which also was in Jeremiah 31. Romans 8, verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So it's the Spirit that enables us to keep God's truth that he has revealed to us. And then verses 9 through 11, he focuses on the fact that we have God's spirit if we know Christ. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit was the one who raised Jesus from the dead. If we believe in Jesus, this Spirit dwells within us and he is the one who gives life to our mortal bodies. And then if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians, so the next book in your Bible to the right is 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3.
2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So what is Paul talking about? He's talking about the differences that Christ has made in the lives of these new believers. And he said these, basically, the qualities that you have in your life that have been changing since you came to faith in Christ, it's the Holy Spirit that's been at work bringing that about. And then let's go to the next book, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? So again, he points out, you didn't receive the Spirit as a result of reading the law. No, the Spirit came through your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the Spirit who is going to be able to transform your life. And then over in chapter 5, I'd like to read a couple more verses. Again, Paul is highlighting the Spirit and the impact that he has in our lives. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then down in verses 22 and 23, he talks about what the Spirit produces in our lives when we walk in the Spirit or depend upon the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So the new covenant, when God is doing this work of writing on our hearts, He's referring to the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives when we depend upon him. Now, he also points out that in the new covenant, God provides us an intimate personal relationship with God. As he says at the end of verse 10, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This shows God's heart. He wants to have people who belong to him, who are committed to him. The nation of Israel was raised up to be God's people, but there were many people in Israel who did not have faith or trust in God. But once we place our faith in Christ, we come into a relationship with God. We become a part of God's family. We are even spiritual descendants of Abraham, as I mentioned just a little bit ago. And then he adds in verse 11, and they shall not teach, and then he goes on, um, his brother or others. Now, this doesn't mean that there's no place for people to teach God's word now that the new covenant has, has come. But the idea here is that the knowledge of God is not confined to a few privileged people. 
Everyone in the new covenant who has placed their faith in Christ has an intimate personal relationship with God. There's no distinction. We saw that in Galatians chapter 3. Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free person. doesn't matter people's education levels, their age, their station in life. Everyone through faith in Christ has this personal intimate relationship with God. You see, there's no privileged class between us and God. Now, under the old covenant, it was only the high priest that could go into the Holy of Holies to represent the people of Israel. But once we place our faith in Christ, we have direct access to God. Some friends of mine led a Catholic lady to Christ in Sydney, Nebraska, a number of years ago. So once this lady came to faith in Christ, she stopped going to confession. And because she stopped going to confession, the priest was concerned about her, and so he paid her a visit. And he asked her why she was not coming to confession anymore. And she said, I now dial direct. She got it. She didn't have to go to anybody. She had direct access to God. You see, we don't need Pastor Jamie to represent us before God. He is not our high priest. As a pastor, he is our teacher. He is the one who shepherds us. But we all have the same direct access to God that Pastor Jamie has, that the elders have. Now, this intimate relationship with God was possible because of the forgiveness that God provided in the new covenant through Jesus. Let's look at verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. You see, we all deserve God's righteous wrath. We've all sinned against him, and he is holy and righteous and would be just in having us separated from him forever. But the good news is God is merciful and loving and gracious, and so he provided the forgiveness that we needed through Jesus Christ. Now, we also notice here, it says, I will remember their sins no more. Now, this will be highlighted later on in Hebrews, but the priest kept offering sacrifices over and over again, many times during the year. Now, Jesus offered himself once, and that was it, because he was the perfect and final sacrifice. And when God says, I will remember their sins no more, this is a double negative. Now, it doesn't make good English, but it could read, I will not not remember your sins anymore. Now, we know that sometimes, in fact, we, we've probably struggled with it ourselves, but you may have known of people who have a hard time letting go of the faults of others. If somebody sinned against them or mistreated them in some way, they, they don't want to let go of it. They hang on to it, and then sometime in the future, they may use it against them. But God has told us, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to hold your sins over your head because Jesus fully paid the penalty for those sins. 
And so we can always freely go to God and know that he is not going to reject us. So after he highlights a few of the better promises, the writer ends by pointing out that the old covenant is obsolete because of the new covenant. Let's look again at verse 13. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, when the writer wrote this, apparently this was before AD 70 when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. So apparently the Jews who had not yet believed in Christ will still offering their sacrifices year after year. And yet that whole system was obsolete. It shouldn't have still been practiced because of Jesus. Now, when you think about the word obsolete, it has the idea of being outmoded or no longer valid because of something else that's coming along. Um, And it's because the old covenant was obsolete and replaced by the new covenant, that's why we don't have to keep the Sabbath. That's why we don't have to follow the dietary restrictions in the old covenant. That's why we don't have to keep the Passover or all the different things that were a part of the old covenant. Now, we know uh, many years ago, the horse and buggy was replaced by the car. You know, just think about it. We can travel so much faster and so much more comfort in a car. So why would you want to go back to a horse and buggy? Now, we know there are some people, I won't mention them, you know of some of the people, groups who are still using the horse and buggy. But it was made obsolete by the car. Now, I guarantee you that the new covenant is far greater than a car. Let's not go back to what is inferior. Now, I've known some believers who have gone back to some of the rules and regulations of the old covenant. And sometimes it's because it makes them feel good when they can have a checklist. Well, I kept the Sabbath. Check that off. Oh, I didn't eat any unclean meat. I can check that one off the list. And so they, they have this checklist mentality. May we never fall into a checklist religion. Let's focus on the relationship that God has provided us through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's not be confused and think, well, you know, that's in the Bible, so why shouldn't I be doing those things? Well, if you understand your Bible, it's been replaced, and that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to help help us with. That we don't have to go back and do all those things that God had given to the Jewish people because Christ has brought in this new covenant. Now, that doesn't mean that we ignore the old covenant or ignore the Old Testament. There's much that we can learn there, and much of it points to God's righteousness. It points to Christ. But let's make sure our focus is on Jesus, that he has first place, and that we don't get into this whole system of following rules and regulations. You know, God has demonstrated 
his amazing love to us through the new covenant. Let's not take his love for granted. Let's not take his forgiveness for granted. Let's thank him for that. Let's thank him that we are able to know him, to have an intimate, personal relationship with him, that we can go directly to him. We don't have to go through others to go to God. Let's thank him for the supernatural way that he works in our lives, that he has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And then let's utilize the Holy Spirit and walk in dependence upon him so we can live this supernatural life that he's called us to live. So let's be grateful for the new covenant and let's be committed to being faithful to following all that God has shown us through this wonderful covenant. Let's not be like the Israelites who are unfaithful. Let's be faithful. We'll never be perfect in this life, but if you want to enjoy fellowship with God, it's not enough just to know about him. The closer we walk with him, the greater fellowship we will enjoy. Now, this passage is pointing out some of the, the dynamic aspect of having a relationship with God. And that's what I would like to challenge all of us with today. Even if we know Christ as our Savior, how are we growing in that relationship with Him? Here are a few suggestions about making your everyday life more relational with the Lord. When you read God's Word, never view it as a, an activity to just check off. Oh, yep, I read the Bible today. I prayed today, I can check that one off. Oh, I went to church on Sunday, I can check that one off. No, make it relational. Don't read God's Word just to gain information. Now, God has wonderful information in there for us, but He wants us to enjoy fellowship with Him even as we do it. So when you're reading God's Word and you come across passages that describe what God is like, stop and praise Him. Praise Him for His wisdom and His power, His righteousness, His mercy, His grace, His love, His faithfulness, all the descriptions about God, don't just say, oh, well, that's nice. No. No, stop and praise him, just like you would like to praise some person who has qualities that you appreciate. Praise God. Make it personal. When you read about what God has done or is doing or will do, stop and thank him for that. You know, we have so many passages that relate to the salvation that God has provided for us and it's so easy to just kind of become comfortable with it. Well, let's stop and thank him for that. When you're reading God's word and you're convicted that you've disobeyed some truth that he's given you, stop and confess that to him. When you read things about how God wants us to live and what he wants us to be doing, stop and thank God for those instructions and ask him for wisdom and strength to live that out in your daily life. I would encourage you, even as you are 
going about your daily activities. Make it relational. Share life with Jesus. As you go about, praise him for his amazing creation. You take for granted the beautiful blue sky and all the green that we see this time of year and the beautiful flowers. Well, those are things that God wants us to enjoy, but we should trace all those blessings back to God's hand and thank him. When you're with a person who you really love because of their character, don't stop there. Thank God for creating that person. Thank God for saving that person. Thank God for working in that person's life and bringing about the character that you love and appreciate. As we go about our daily living, when we're interacting with other people, let's seek to be a light for Jesus. Let's remember that we are representing him. Lord, give me wisdom in knowing what to say and how to say it. Lord, help me to be a blessing to this person. You know, that brings so much meaning to life when we realize that every situation we're in is an opportunity to enjoy the Lord and be a light for him. You know, Jesus has made it possible for us to have a dynamic, growing relationship with him. May our relationship with Jesus Christ be the greatest priority in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your wonderful plan. We thank you that you had a plan for the old covenant for the Israelite people. And you accomplished the purpose that you had for that plan. But you only had that plan in place until Jesus came and died on the cross for us. And then you ushered in the new covenant that you had planned before you created this world. We are so thankful that you have provided a salvation for us that we could never have earned ourselves. We are so thankful that you have made it possible for us through your spirit to live a whole new kind of life, to have the desires and the power to live this supernatural life that you've called us to live, one that honors and glorifies you and one that's a blessing to ourselves and to others. Father, I pray for each of us that we would remember to make all of life relational with you. May you be at the center of everything, and may you be glorified through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.